Grace be to you, my dear Christian friends, on this our country's 200th birthday, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The words of scripture that I would like to use for our meditation this morning are brief, are taken from the first epistle of Peter, chapter 2, verse 17. And with the paraphrase of one word, it sounds like this. Fear God, honor the nation. I don't know about you, but I know that for the last several weeks I have been wondering just how I would appropriately observe this memorable day, the 200th anniversary of the beginning of our nation. And in looking around and listening to ads and television commercials and things of that sort, surely one of the most unusual and bizarre ways of observing the fourth that I have come across is the offer that for $4.95 plus shipping you can, if you so desire, have shipped to you from four different places in the United States bottles of bicentennial air. I don't know if it's red, white, and blue, but I guess if it's bottled in the right part of the country that could also be arranged. Or if you're sick to death of the whole thing, there are available bicentennial caskets. More seriously and appropriately, it is interesting to note that on this occasion of the 200th anniversary, we are reaching in our observances both into the past and into the future. Operation Sale in New York Harbor is surely a reach into the romance and excitement of a bygone era which we are in some way trying to recapture. And the landing on the planet Mars of the Viking spacecraft, originally scheduled for today but unfortunately postponed because the terrain on which Viking 1 was to land was found to be too rugged and hazardous, surely those landings are an, an exploration of the future. Perhaps even to see whether there is someone on Mars who wants to help us celebrate our bicentennial. But we gather here this morning for an even more important observance of our bicentennial. We are here because we want to observe the event as the Apostle says, in the fear of God. Our nation, you know, is unique among large and long-lasting nations on earth in that it was founded on a spiritual base. If we think of some of the great events of history and the freedoms which they have brought to people, we think particularly, first of all, of the march to freedom by Moses. A march to freedom from bondage of the body. It was a physical freedom that Moses 
acquired for the children of Israel and that dramatic event. Another important march to freedom was that of the philosophers and thinkers of the Greeks, a freedom of the mind, the freedom to think the way in which human reason would permit people to think. And then there, of course, was the ultimate freedom shown to us by our Savior Jesus Christ, the freedom of the spirit and of the soul, the ultimate freedom. It was really a culmination of these freedoms that led our founding fathers to declare the independence of our 13 colonies. It was a spiritually based document. In addition to some of the quotations we have heard in the service already this morning, let me add one or two others from our founding patriots. Listen to George Washington. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to laud the more distinguished character of Christian. Sam Adams, if you carefully fulfill the various duties of life from a principle of obedience to your heavenly Father, you shall enjoy that peace which the world cannot give nor take away. Alexander Hamilton, despise thyself and adore thy God. James Madison, a watchful eye must be kept on ourselves, lest while we are building ideal monuments of renown and bliss here, we neglect to have our names enrolled in the annals of heaven. Abigail Adams, he who neglects his duty to his maker may well be expected to be deficient and insincere in his duty toward the public. And finally, one more from Daniel Webster. All that is best in the civilization of today is the fruit of Christ's appearance among men. There was written into our Declaration of Independence and into our Constitution the concept of sin, the basic idea that man left to his own devices will err, and that this concept made it necessary to write safeguards into our Constitution to prevent the nation from being led astray. It was really, when we think about it, this difference in the founding of a nation to write safeguards against the sinful nature of man into our founding documents. It was this difference that ultimately made the nation succeed, whereas in other trials of this kind, in other lands, the project was doomed to failure. Shortly after the Declaration of Independence and our own struggle for freedom, the French mounted a bloody revolution in some cases led even by some of the same leaders who were active in our own march to independence. 
But whereas ours was a spiritually based revolution, the one in France began with a denial of the influence of the church and of religion. It was an anti-clerical movement, and it failed. It turned instead into a reign of terror because it depended solely on human reason. The apostle says, fear God, then honor the nation. Honor the king, he says, which in our age means the nation. There are reasons enough why today we can honor this 200-year-old nation, because God has truly blessed this effort. We can honor the nation because from its very beginning, the United States has welcomed to its shores the world's distressed masses. Not one of us would be here today if immigrants from other lands had not been welcomed to our country. The Statue of Liberty has at its base the inscription that sets the tone for this attitude on the part of our country, that we welcome those who are unfortunate and in need from foreign shores. We can honor our nation today because we have, over the years, shared with other nations our material and spiritual wealth. After destructive wars, the United States has distinguished itself in feeding the hungry, in mounting plans such as the Marshall Plan, which literally saved millions of people from destruction. We have shared our spiritual wealth. We have sent to the far corners of the earth proclaimers of the gospel over all these years. We can honor our nation today because we have not in our history hidden the problems and faults that beset a nation. Yes, instead of an iron curtain, we have instead a picture window. And in many cases, foreign countries know about the failure of a project such as the launching of a spacecraft even before we do in our own land. We honor the nation because we have not over the years used the awesome power, economic and military, that is ours for world conquest. At the end of World War II, this country had at its disposal the mightiest military organization in the history of the world. In addition, it, had, it was the only nation to have the atomic bomb. The country could have gone on to rule the world. Instead, the military organization was disbanded and the United States took the leadership in organizing the United Nations. One more aspect of our nation deserves mention, and that, because we honor the nation today, I think is of extreme importance. We have as a nation always defended the right of our citizens to dissent in a lawful manner. 
The very beginning of the nation was an act of dissent against tyranny. And we have written into our laws and into our history the right of people lawfully to voice their disagreement with our form of government or with things that are being done by our government. In fact, today at this very moment, there is in Washington, D.C., among other places, a counter-parade by people who do not believe that the nation ought to celebrate its bicentennial in the manner in which it is doing it. And this counter-parade is being protected by the law enforcement officials of Washington. Perhaps there's a reminder here for our own church's recent history that we need to remember the basic rights of people in the church and in the nation to dissent with the actions of those in power. A few years ago there appeared in the Chicago Tribune a cartoon showing Betsy Ross sewing the first American flag and underneath the caption it is time to check the stitches. So even as we honor <clears throat> the things in our nation's history that God has granted us, we need also to pay particular attention to the areas of our national life where some of these seams and stitches of our country's life are being strained. We hardly need to make a great issue of some of these, but merely to mention them is a sobering thought. There are surely seams that are being strained in our country in the area of race prejudice. In this land of plenty, we have stitches that need tending when it comes to poverty and people who in the midst of plenty are in need. Our country, in spite of its technological advances, is facing problems of pollution. Pollution on a scale where even the scientists to whom we usually look for the solution of our problems in this regard are puzzled and don't know where next to turn. We have stitches being strained in the area of a rising permissiveness and we worry about whether the nation's youth will carry on the traditions, the spiritual bulwarks on which the nation was founded. We worry, in other words, that the great American dream could indeed become a nightmare. About a year ago, I had the chance to talk to a number of our country's astronauts, as well as to some of the Russian cosmonauts before their flight in which the memorable handshake took place in space. And one thing that struck me was that each of the astronauts spoke of a spiritual awakening in space, an awareness 
they told me that the Earth is a finite planet. So perhaps the biggest lesson of the space age is the fact that our planet is not limitless in its resources, that we need to take care of it, that we need to take care of it spiritually as well as materially. I'm not sure whether you know that one of the astronauts who went to shake hands with the Russians last year, Deke Slayton, was a Lutheran. I say was a Lutheran because he told me that, in his words, he had let the religious part of his life slip to some extent, that his wife was more active in church activities than he was. I reminded him that he was the one who was taking his life in his hands to go into space, and he ought to do something about that, which he promised to do. Now, people say, surely, a trip into space cannot create faith. That is very true. The astronauts went into space from a spiritual base. In fact, there is a story when the astronauts met with the first Russians who went into space at the Paris Air Show some years ago. One of the Russians rather flauntingly told the assembled audience that they didn't see any angels flapping their wings in space, they didn't see God there. To which one of the astronauts replied, the reason you didn't see God in space is because you forgot to take him along. We need to check our stitches by taking God along. Fear God, then we can truly honor the nation. So in closing, to some of the revealed, or rather to some of the self-evident truths to which the writers of the Declaration of Independence referred, I would like to add some revealed ones that Scripture gives us. You know, the writers didn't say that the truths that are mentioned in the Declaration of Independence are the only self-evident truths nor that they are the only truths to which we should pay heed in this nation. In the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7.14, there is an applicable truth from the Lord that speaks to some of the stitches and the stretching at the seams to which I have been referring. It says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. In Matthew, in the New Testament, we're told in chapter 4, verse 23, And Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom, Surely as Christians, the most important truth that must be added to the self-evident ones of the Declaration of Independence is the one that the Lord came and gave his life so that we might have true freedom.
And with that truth, the future of our nation and of our life as Christians can be bright indeed. As the Apostle writes in Corinthians 2, verse 9, and if you put this in the backdrop of the celebrations and the awesomeness of some of the spectacles that are being mounted in our nation today, think of the meaning of what the Apostle says when he tells us, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. He's speaking of the joys of salvation materially and spiritually in the here and now and in the hereafter for a person who places his trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Happy birthday, my fellow Americans, and may the peace of God, whom we fear and love, and which peace is beyond all understanding, be with us and with our beloved country. Amen.